0: Matthew seven one. We're doing don't judge this week. Next week we're doing uh, Hebrews uh, whatever it says in there eight twelve uh, about our sins. Uh, God remembering our sins no more. Uh, that's not this week. This week we are don't we're not judging. All right, everybody, move. That's going to move. Alright, Matthew 7-1 says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Y'all have heard that verse before, right? Everybody who's heard that verse before used, uh, raise your hand. Yeah, um, we've all, all heard it once or twice. Um, usually, not always, but I think usually it comes from folks who have that much biblical knowledge. Maybe they're not even Christians, not even churchgoers. They know that verse. That that verse is burned in their memory. But church folks can use it too. Uh, Christians use it out of context pretty often as well. What is the context? Well, let's read the whole thing, 7, 1 through 6. Uh, This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has started with the Beatitudes. in, In chapter 5, he's moved... Through the the Beatitudes, told them to expect uh, persecution. At the end of the Beatitudes, then in chapter six, he's dealing much more with uh, vertical relationship uh, between us and God. The Beatitudes started off. He, he talks about Christ, and 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 uh, he he doesn't. Uh, change the law he actually makes the law harder uh, as a Christian than, than just the law in verse in, in chapter five he's done that um, you've heard it said don't murder I'm telling you if you hate you're murdering you've heard it said don't commit adultery I'm telling you if you lust you're committing adultery uh, and, and, and there's there's even context there so we can't you know we don't want to jump off the deep end in those passages either. But he is—he's building on and, and and counteracting bad interpretation of verses. Isn't that interesting? That, that chapter five is Jesus' own version of most misquoted verses of the Old Testament. Uh, that's what chapter five is. Chapter six then uh, goes into this—the the vertical relationship, uh, how that how our actions on earth. Affect our vertical relationship. How to give, how to pray. The model prayer is in there. Then, verse uh, chapter seven is much more about. Uh, well, actually, the end of chapter six and the beginning of chapter seven uh, is much more about some uh, horizontal relationships. How we, how our faith shows up in day to day life. And uh, I, I did a series couple of years ago on the, the the Sermon on the Mount. So that's kind of fresh in my mind. So this is a part of that or in the middle of that. This is how you need to live among yourselves. This is how you reflect God to each other and not just to God. So that's that's the kind of the the, the large context. Still a part of this, like I said, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's teaching his disciples with eavesdroppers of about 5,000 people. I mean, that, that's really how it worked out. The, a lot of those folks were not going to get what he was talking about unless they were going to get offended. Uh, that's about it. Uh, the, rest, the disciples, and even the disciples, were going to go walk away going, wait a minute, did he just say what I think he said? They, they still had questions after this as well. So we get to Matthew 7, 1 through 6, the entire context. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Nobody ever quotes the second part of that verse. They leave that part out. And there's a good reason why, and we'll get to that. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? We do like that part, though. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye? Hypocrite! First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Wow, Jesus. Jesus isn't subtle most of the time. Right, I mean, can we agree with that? He, he 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 confuses folks. Wait a minute, did he just say that? But it's 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 the confusion is I think more about not what he said, but did Jesus just say that? Oh, we must have misunderstood. No, no, we didn't misunderstand. All right, first phrase: Do not judge. That's the favorite. Two possibilities for defining or for interpreting. Uh, for translating this word, judge. The first possibility is to analyze or evaluate. Um, you go to the grocery store and you are buying avocados and uh, you pick your avocado up and you squeeze it. You are judging that avocado. Is it right? Do I want this one? Is it too old? Is it too soft? Is it, ju- is it good? I'm judging. I am analyzing. I'm evaluating. Okay? That's the idea of this word here. The other, or the, the, the first possibility, anyway. The the uh, The second possibility for judge is to condemn or avenge. And this would be what we think of as a judge on the the, the bench. The judge making the, uh, pronouncing the sentence. Gavel to the, to the, uh podium, 20 years, hard labor, busting rocks at the federal penitentiary, if they still bust rocks, I don't know, Uh, that's that's judging in that second idea, that second possibility, condemn or avenge, we are commanded to do the first, alright, so before we get to what Jesus means, let's make sure we understand what the New Testament tells us to do. We are commanded throughout, the not just the New Testament, the Bible. We are commanded to do the first one. We are commanded to analyze or evaluate or judge. We are to judge. I say, oh, but do judge on the next slide. Uh, First place we can go, and you can turn to these if you want to. They're all going to be up there, I believe. Uh, Or you can just kind of write them down and go look at them later if you don't believe that I am reporting them as written. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. It's the first place we're going to go. It says, It is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife, and you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. Let's stop there for just a second. Verse 2 says that they should have their proper response toward this situation would have been filled with grief. Why? Because they would have judged the action. They would have analyzed and evaluated. Wait a minute. That is a sinful act. That's something that a church member should not be involved in. Therefore, we can state categorically that this man is not living the way he's supposed to. And then they are supposed to The rest of that verse, or at least, but because of their grief, he might be removed from your congregation. Well, who's doing the removing? The congregation. They're going to make a judgment. They're going to analyze. They're going to evaluate. Verse three, for though I'm absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. Now, hold on, Paul. You ain't talked to this dude. You haven't seen what he's doing. And yet Paul is saying, guys, I've already made a judgment. If he is sleeping with his father's wife, there's no discussion about this. There there, there doesn't even take time to evaluate, to analyze and evaluate. We know what he is doing is sinful. Therefore, you should have made the correct decision uh, long before now. When you are assembled in the name of our our Lord Jesus with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus... Turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord You know what The one thing our constitution says We are supposed to do as a church That we do not do Church discipline Exactly what he's talking about here Kicking folks out Now we'll do that with a preacher Sure, we'll kick him out anytime But church members Now we don't kick them out Uh, They're tithers Right? So we don't you know, we don't <laughs> no, we don't mess with them. The preacher costs money, but the people give it. So we don't keep them, kick them out. Yet this is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. And if you think that, that wasn't clear enough from Paul, he continues, we can skip on down to verse nine. And he says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Let's see, Paul, if I'm getting this straight. I'm going to have to make a, a judgment call. i to have to judge. I'm going to have to analyze and evaluate whether what they are doing is sexual immorality. Okay, I have to judge. But hold on, church people who don't like to hang around with sinners. He says in verse 10, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, otherwise you would have to leave the world but now I am writing to you writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or verbally abusive a drunkard or a swindler do not even eat with such a person for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders don't you judge though those not in there but this is the Tenor of what he's saying Don't you judge those who are inside The answer being yes But God judges outsiders Put the evil one away. Put, the, put away the evil person From among yourselves So what is this passage telling us This passage is telling us It's not our Business to judge outsiders Those outside of the church Now do we know that they are involved In sinful activity Yes Do we expect them not to be if they're not believers? No. We should expect the world to live like the world. And expect that as believers, we take to them the only message that's going to change that in their hearts. Not preaching morality, not an election, not those kinds of things, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change people. Then, once they're in here, we disciple what what what's frustrating is when a church has a, someone come to Jesus. Well, first of all, some churches expect that person suddenly their life just to be 180 degrees different. They're not. Oh, you shouldn't be struggling with sin anymore. <clears throat> really, what planet are you living on? Because we all continue to struggle with sin, especially those who were who were saved miraculously from it, but are now. Really trying to change their lives, and they are, are burdened by their sinfulness but wrapped up for whatever reasons in it and can't get out of it. That's where the church is supposed to come alongside them and disciple them. How do we do that? Well, we do that by, yes, judging their actions. That person is doing things that I know. Biblically, a Christian shouldn't do. Therefore, I am going to disciple that person and try to bring them along and help them in their, their confusion, help them in their, uh, their uh, addiction, whatever it might be. We tend, though, to jump straight to the bottom part and forget the parts at the beginning where we should be filled with grief. We just like to be filled with anger sometimes. We don't like to take Jesus' command to go to that person, then take a couple of folks to that person. And then if that person still will not repent, still will not turn, then you move into what Paul is describing here. But throughout this, do you notice what believers are doing? They're judging. But this also means, and we're going to get here in a second, that folks are looking at you, too. As you look at other folks, they're looking at you. And that's good. That's that's beyond okay. That is great. That is how it's supposed to be. So, let's continue on. That's 1 Corinthians. Surely it doesn't say that anywhere else, Michael. Oh, surely it does. And don't call me surely. 1 John 4.1 Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test, sounds a lot like judge, judge the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this is where sometimes folks get mad at me because I tend to not be a fan of certain TV preachers. One in particular in Houston that meets in a former basketball arena right off 59. It, I don't want to call names though. Um he, And, well, you can't judge His. Yes, I can, because 1 John 4, 1 tells me to test the spirits. And so I test what He says, and not just Him, plenty of other preachers. I test what they say, and I take what's said, and I look at Scripture and say, that does not match. You know, you are supposed to do that with me every Sunday. If I get up and preach something, you're supposed to be able to take your Bible, priesthood of the believers, That's a Baptist distinctive. Take your Bible and say, okay, he said it says that. It does say that. All right. And then we can move on. But if I say something wonky and way outside the realm of what would be Orthodox Christianity, you're supposed to look that up and test that and say, I don't think it says that. And you are supposed to then come to me. And I've got to say, Don is a great one at doing this to me. Every couple of weeks, usually with stuff I say on Wednesday night, I guess I'm less prepared on Wednesday night, speaking off the cuff more, because I'll say something on Wednesday night, and Sunday morning he'll come to me, I've been thinking about this since Wednesday, that did you say, and I'll think back and have to say, yeah, I said that, but that's not what I meant. Or say, well, I didn't say it quite that way, but it's great. He is, he is processing everything that I say. He's testing me, which keeps me sharp keeps me from saying too much stuff off the cuff and getting in trouble. So test the spirits. Judge the spirits to determine if they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world and I believe many of these preachers standing in pulpits uh, today are false prophets. Nothing but pure and simple. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. I'll tell you how you're wrong later. Matthew 18. Here's another one. If your brother sins against you... (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. How am I going to know if somebody sins against me? If I, I, I can't judge what you just did to me. The Bible says don't judge. No. <laughs> Clearly, I do. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. This is Jesus talking here. So Jesus' command is already to discern, to evaluate, to analyze, to judge what your brother is doing. And if that brother has sinned against you, go and rebuke him in private. Talk about it. If he listens to you, excellent. You've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. And look, this is like the third step, and the church is saying, look, you did this, are you going to fess up? No. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you, not a part of the congregation. Now we jump to Paul in First uh, Corinthians 5, where he is discussing the same thing. So, we have to judge, right, to get to this point. Well, surely that's enough, Michael. No, 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 let's go to the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. You must not harbor hatred against your brother, Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You must not harbor hatred against your neighbor. well why would I want to how would I do that or rebuke your neighbor directly? What am I rebuking him for? Well, clearly, I have judged his actions. I have found him to have sinned against me in some Respect, So I go to him. And when we discuss it, hopefully we work it out. But we even then we don't take revenge or bear a grudge. Uh, that's the Lord's responsibility. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Hold on. We got more verses to look at because I don't think y'all believe me yet. Psalm 141 5. Let the righteous one. You hear this? Let the righteous one strike me. It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Even now my prayer is against the evil acts of the wicked. You hear the first part of that verse? Y'all, come after me. Don't let me, this is a prayer, God, do not let me be offended by the fact that folks are looking at me and finding where I lack. Because it's a two-way street. We don't get to be the judge and not get judged. In the body of believers, we are to judge each other. And this psalm is stating that clearly. Let I want the one who is righteous, the one who has seen my sinfulness, to come to me and say, I've seen this in you. Because it could very well be that I don't recognize my own sinfulness. And, and while we all have our, our pet sins that we keep in the closet and we only take them out when folks aren't around, we also all have our sins that are just all out in front of everybody, and we are just completely blind to the idea that they're sinful. And you think, how is that? Well, use your imagination. I think you can come up with some ways that we do that. So I want the righteous to come to me and say, I don't think that was exactly right. And it is uh, an act of love for you to do that. The flip is it is an act of love for me to do that to you as well. Let's move on. Back to the New Testament. Luke 17, 3. Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. How would I know if he sinned? Well, I judged. I evaluated. I analyzed John 7, 24. Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Okay, well now we're getting a little meatier. We're getting some standards to how we judge. We're going to get to to that with Jesus here in chapter 7 as well. But even John, or, or Jesus here in John, is saying, you know, not about what you think, not about what you feel, but righteous judgment. What does the word of God say? Matthew seven sixteen. You will recognize them. Oh, we're a little behind. I'll let you catch up. couple more clicks. One more. Okay, two more. One, one more. There we go. That's where we are. Uh, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Ooh, here's that fruit again. Michael, you've been talking about this fruit for two weeks. We'll talk about it again next week, too. And we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. We've got to judge the fruit. Same way we test the spirits. We we see what someone is producing. And we look at it and say, that that is not the fruit of a Christian. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I told you I'd do it, even though I forgot it this morning. Um, Yeah. that's, that's not the fruit you're supposed to be producing. We can see that. You, you're producing the wrong stuff. You're producing thorns. You're not producing fruit. You're, you're producing thistles. You're not producing figs. How would we know? Because we judge. Last verse, I promise. Galatians 6 1. Brothers, if, some, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, and how would we know it's wrongdoing, class? We judge. Very good. You who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Some of us might need to work on that. Watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. We'll get into this more uh, when we go through Galatians. Uh, That's Galatians chapter 6. I believe that's the last chapter of Galatians. So we should be there somewhere around 2019. But, uh, But we'll get into that more when we get there. But I'll use this example, and by the time I use it again, you'll have forgotten. There's a, uh, a ministry uh, called, and actually if you Google it, you, it this is their website, everything, com or .org. They intentionally did that, that, uh, that domain name years ago so that when people were Googling for pornography, that would show up in their, uh, their list of, of, of uh, sites. Hoping that people would click on that, and then it's a ministry to people who are addicted to pornography. So you uh, now it has grown for them from just that ministry to now they have an incredible ministry among the pornographic industry. They go. Did did you know that there are like you would go to a trade show for campers and 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 um, uh, flowers for the spring. And a boat show, there's a trade show for porn. Usually in Las Vegas. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. These folks at Triple X Church, they have a booth at these trade shows where they hand out Bibles. They, uh, it, the cover of their Bible says, I remember, Jesus loves porn stars. It says it right there on the cover of the Bible. And they hand those out. And they have seen countless people stuck in that horrible industry, turn to Christ, and now are trying to minister to others who are still in that industry and bring them out. They, uh, they even work at this one, you know, God bless them. They work at the brothels in Nevada. And, and try to provide the, the women with clean utensils. I'm trying not to be too graphic. But provide them with ways to not contract diseases and all the time trying to love them and minister to them out of that lifestyle. It is an incredible ministry. Now, wondering, Michael, what are you getting at? Watching out for yourself so you also won't be tempted. In our haste to point out someone's sin, and even if it's in this case, in Galatians, it's not just pointing it out, but it is, it is discipling them through that. If someone's caught, you are spiritual, so to restore such a person, that's the goal of The goal is never to kick them out of the church. That's not the goal. That might be a tool that's used in order to restore them, but that's not the goal. The goal is restoration. The goal is a renewed relationship with Christ. Uh, The goal is sanctification. But in that process, you don't want to yourself get caught up into sin. So, if you are particularly sensitive toward... uh, lust as a sin, Triple X Church would not be your ministry. You don't put yourself in the midst of that. And that's just one of the most glaring examples I can think of. But if you are a former alcoholic, you might say, I need to minister to alcoholics. And you probably do need to. But you would need to minister to alcoholics from up there, not from a bar stool where that temptation is right in front of you. Now, extrapolate that out to any sinful area that is a weakness for you you need to avoid those areas of confrontation in somebody else's life. That's not your job. Let somebody else for whom that's not an issue uh, work on that. So that's, that's why I hung out on that verse a little bit because there is a warning here for those of us who would judge and judge righteously and judge in order to get people out of their sinfulness uh, into something else. All right, so those are our verses. The second term condemn or avenge, that is strictly God's business. That term, that definition of judge is all God's. And that's the the, the word that's used in verse 1. So what the verse says is do not condemn. Do not avenge so that you won't be condemned or you won't be avenged. You won't be judged. That's what he's getting at. So what would this look like in reality? In reality, what this would look like is me looking at someone and saying, because of your sinfulness, you're going to hell. Well, the reality is I can say that about the lost. I can also say that about about myself, except for the blood of Jesus on me. That's the only thing that keeps me out of hell. But if I am going to make that statement as if I can do anything about their eternity, I'm putting on myself responsibility that is not mine. I'm taking the place of God, which is idolatry. It's just a personal idolatry. I'm putting myself in God's place instead of putting something else. Or how should I phrase that? I'm putting myself in God's place instead of something else in God's place. So the reality is we can't get out of final judgment, right? I've talked about before, as Christians, we'll be judged. Uh, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious jewels. Those things will be lit on fire. What's left is the stuff that we get to take with us to heaven. What was burned up was useless. That will be our judgment. But there will also be a final judgment where the goats and the sheep are separated. I, I knew you. You were mine on earth. You're mine in heaven. I never knew you. You were my, You weren't mine on earth. You won't be mine in heaven. That's the final judgment. The, the lack of judgment here, uh, the, the you won't be judged, is a lack of condemnation. This, uh, so he's telling us, do not judge, do not make this uh, condemning decree over someone. Therefore, you won't be, you won't have that condemning decree either. You won't be condemned. Now, Let's back up here just a second, though. So, does that mean we, if, if as a Christian, I judge improperly, even though I'm a believer, God's going to send me to hell? No. Actually, the 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 hint here is that the one who would dare to judge in such a way is probably already lost, may be lost. That's that's the hint here. If you, so he's saying, don't judge. Don't condemn, don't take my place. But if you do, is your salvation secure? Are you Have you trusted me? Because if you would put yourself in my place, God's saying, you know, fleshing this out a little bit, if you would put myself in, yourself in my place, you've not understood me at all. You've not trusted my son because you know you, you're nowhere near my spot, nowhere near who I am. And the implication here is that the one who judges will certainly be on the receiving end of that judgment. So there's something bigger here than just Christians saying, hmm, other Christians, you're not acting the way you're supposed to. This is a, a, a judgment that is a result of depravity, the result of lostness, primarily. But there's something here for us. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. But interestingly enough, Jesus knew other folks were listening. I guarantee you, there were uh, some Pharisees listening, some some Sadducees, some some scribes and teachers of the law who who had followed him around because they're trying to catch him in something. And so when he says this, talking to you disciples, but I know who's listening. So don't judge, don't condemn, because if you're going to condemn that way, if you're going to use that standard, we'll get to that second, if you're going to use that standard, well, you're going to be condemned as well. So you see the effect on the guys who were on the outside, and Pharisees, I mean, what do we? What's the term we use when we say somebody's being judgmental? they are in Pharisees. Pharisaical, if we like the big word. That's what we say about them. They're, they're acting like Pharisees. Well, exactly. If you are going to take on yourself the role of judging someone's salvation by their actions, you think you're God. And if you think you're God, well, you're clearly not in the repentant state of a follower of Jesus because you would know you absolutely were not. So that's what he's getting at there. Verse 2, For you will be judged, because remember we're trying to keep this in context, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Alright? So, again, he's still talking to the disciples, so there is something for them here. Don't judge, don't condemn, because if you do, your judgment is uh, based on your lack of salvation now, but if you do, judge you're going to be judged by the same measure you use I don't like that verse I have a much higher standard for everybody else than I have for myself I know y'all don't but I tend to see myself a little bit better than I really am so I look at everybody else and say well they sure aren't where they're supposed to be Jesus knew me um, so he covers me here in, uh, in verse 5 But we'll get to that in a second um, It must be charib- ch- uh, Charitable judging What like Paul said in Galatians Judge uh, uh, Restore with a gentle spirit That's the idea here Charitable judging This is foreshadowing Verse 12 in chapter 7 Where he says uh, Therefore whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. Uh, This is foreshadowing. If you are going to use that standard and say, look, you, Christians can't act that way. You can't do that and be a Christian. You better make sure and understand that same standard is going to come right back to you. And I think Jesus, I think God is going to do that to us, not at the end, but now. Oh, he's going to remind us. He, he's going to, you know, as soon as, as soon as we say that, as soon as it's out of our mouths, if we are being discipled by his word, as soon as it's out of our mouths, he's going to say, mm-hmm, wait till tomorrow. When you do that same thing, you, but, but you forgot that you just whooped up on somebody else for doing it, that same standard is going to be used. And he's going to remind us. And he's going to use that to chasten us and discipline us, to disciple us. So this is a, a warning against a judgmental attitude. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't have a judgmental attitude. Don't go through life looking at everybody else and saying, well, that person's not right here, and this person needs to that. And, oh, Lord, have mercy. How many things does she need to get right in her life? Mm. You know, that, that's what we, some of us, maybe, a few of us, tend to do. Don't have that life of pointing out every. One else's is false. This verse judged, I mean this word judged in uh, verse 2. For you will be judged. That's a passive verb. But it's not just a passive verb. By its location, by its context, by its usage. It is a divine passive verb. All throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, we have divine passives. Divine passives mean that it can happen to us, but only God can cause it. So he says, don't judge, don't condemn, so that you won't be condemned. For you will be judged, condemned, avenged by God. Using the same standard that you used against somebody else. And then Jesus explains why. Then he moves into this second part of the passage. What we're supposed to do. Verse 3. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but no, don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? This is where good, biblically knowledgeable Christians start quoting the Bible when they get caught in sin. Oh, well, why are you looking at the speck in my eye with the plank that you've got in your eye? And 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 the way my warped sense of humor works is I see two people facing each other. The one with the plank says to the one with the speck something about the speck. Well, well, but you know, you've got this problem, and that speck goes whoop, kind of like Pinocchio's nose. Whoop, that speck grows into a plank. That plank on this other eye goes down to a speck. Well, you've got that, and then they go back and forth. Whoop. Whoop-choo. That's that's my vision. I told you I'm warped, but uh, that's how I see it, and that's that's what ends up happening if we have this judgmental attitude. We see the speck, we it, but we don't see our plank. There's another uh, a visual I wish we could I could do, but uh, th- there's something about our perspective that if uh, I have nothing big enough, sure I do. You know, this is uncomfortable, but if I've only got it in one eye, I'm probably going to have a black circle around my eye after this, but if I've only got it in one eye, I see fine out of my right eye. My left eye is a little blocked, but my right eye is fine. My perspective is that this isn't that big a deal. I don't see it. Of course, when I turn sideways and I hit people with it and can't go through a door, then I've got some issues. But I don't really see it the same. I can see your speck. I don't see my plank. Now, some of that's willfulness. No, I'm fine. There's nothing here. But that's what that that's that's how we work. We totally, because of our perspective, miss. What should have been completely obvious in our own lives. Jesus is saying, don't miss what is completely obvious in your life. Everybody sees it. You don't because you're not looking right here. You're looking out there. You're just looking at everybody else. You totally miss this right in front of you. Oh, I see that and I see you and I see that. But you're missing this because your perspective is off. As Christians, our self-examination must outweigh our effort on others. Did y'all hear that? Can you read it? As Christians, our self examination must outweigh our effort on others. If I'm examining you twice, I better be examining me four times. And if I'm after you eight times, it better be 16 for me. I must be looking at myself more than I'm looking at others. I'm not supposed to stop looking at others. You're not supposed to stop looking at others. And bringing brothers and sisters along in their sanctification and their discipleship. But you do it with a a heart that looks at yourself first. And once you get the blank out, look what Jesus continues to say. In verse uh, 5, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. We've all had the eyelash in the eye, right? And for some reason the movies made in the 40s and 50s That was an excuse for kissing I I, I never uh, You walk in on somebody kissing and Oh, they have something in their eye I I don't see how that works But okay, if that's your excuse If you're going to try it, fine But we do have to get very close, right? Mama pulls open your eye Blows in it And you're thinking, how is this helping me? Uh, And then, you know, with the finger or whatever Trying to get that eyelash out of your eye Now, if that music stand is sticking out of my face four feet, how well am I going to be able to get to that? That's the image. Don't ever tell me Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, this is Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy type stuff here that he's describing. He's using this ridiculous scenario to get the point across that you cannot help someone with their own sin when you've done nothing about this baggage of sin that you are personally carrying. You'll be able to help your brother better. You're a hypocrite, though, if your concern for others is greater than the concern for yourself. That's when hypocrisy takes form, takes root in our lives. Self-awareness makes you much more gracious. You, as an al- a former alcoholic, can understand what that alcoholic is going through. Why, no matter how he or she tries, they cannot put the bottle down. Why, the drug at, drug addict can't leave the needle alone. You understand that better than anybody. So what is your response to that? I can't believe you can't get over that. No, no. Uh, I, I, I've watched enough TV shows about AA and those the sponsors and how they help these people. Uh, current addicts or more recently former addicts overcome their addiction. That would never be the response. Now the love may be tough but the love is gracious. That is how we as sin addicts are to respond to each other who are also sin addicts. I may have better control over my sins whatever they may be right now than you do. Tomorrow it might be that you have them under control better than me, and we help each other. We, iron sharpens iron, Proverbs tells us. So, if my concern is greater for you than it is for me, I've got a problem. Well, Michael, what does he mean about tossing pearls? It is an odd verse to throw out there. Uh, Don't give what is holy to dogs or or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Some have said this relates to evangelism. It does not. There is no one to whom we should not share the gospel or with whom we should not share the gospel. We should share the gospel with anybody who will sit or stand and listen to the end of the presentation. Or even if we only get to the middle, share what we can. Nobody that should not have the gospel shared with them. This is addressing whom we are to correct. That's what it's talking about. When he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, don't throw what's holy to dogs, what he's telling is, there is some, there are some people that you just don't need to even bother correcting. That, really, Jesus, that seems kind of harsh. Matthew 18, 17. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. If they won't listen, don't keep trying. There comes a point where your, uh, your, your, your uh, encouragement, your discipleship, your, uh, your pointing out their sinfulness... It's it's worthless. I there. I wish I had thought to to uh, share some of the. There's so many proverbs that talk about don't waste your breath on a fool. And, it, and it's over and over and over, and that's what we're talking about here. Don't don't spend your time trying to disciple someone who will not be discipled. Try, give it the effort. Go to that person, take two or three, bring them to the church, whatever. But there comes a point where you have to say, you've made your choice. And you're going to have to live with that choice. And when you have wallowed in it long enough, prodigal son, when you have wallowed in it long enough, when you come to your senses, when you come to yourself, you'll come back. But it's going to be the hatefulness of sin and living not just like the devil but with the devil that's going to drive them back and sometimes we just have to say it's time for you to make your own decision hypocrite is an actor with a mask so there are times when the person we are talking to is just acting they're they're not maybe they're not even a believer but there's certainly not anyone who is trying to follow Christ daily. They put on that mask when they're around the right people, but then they take it off the rest of the time. Oh, I'm in church. Got to put the mask on. Everybody thinks I'm a good Christian. How are you, brother? Oh, bless thee. Bless thee in the name of Jesus. You know, but when they're gone, the mask is off. Hypocrite, don't try to disciple the hypocrites. It's harsh. But you know what? There are enough lost people that are literally dying to hear the gospel that we don't need to waste our time trying to convince a hardened, bench-warmer church member that they're wrong. We can use that energy elsewhere. We can use that energy discipling someone who wants to grow. Witnessing to someone who who just need someone to tell them the gospel, and their eyes will open, and their heart will open, and they'll receive Jesus. That's where we need to spend our time. So, questions? Don, did I say anything crazy? All right, tonight. Okay, good deal. Sir, (laughs) Oh, no, no, absolutely not. Now, I don't know that all this is. And here's something that that I want to encourage y'all to do. Uh, some of these verses, when we go through them, y'all are going to be like, Phew. well, yeah, obviously. But then others of them, you're going to go. OK, he said it with authority. So maybe maybe he's right. I don't know. go home and read it. You go home and look through that verse again and say, oh, all right. Look up some, there are all sorts of commentaries online that you can uh, look at. Uh, Bible, uh, let's see, is it cross? No. Ah, I can't think of it. There's one in particular. Actually, just do this. Just type the verse into your search engine. And usually the first page that pops up is a Bible. uh, It has various versions of the Bible. But then at the top, you also have numerous commentaries you can click on that are public domain commentaries, and, and see what folks are saying. See see what guys much, much smarter than me have said. Now, you're going to find guys that disagree with you. You're going to find guys that agree with you. So you need to weigh those and say, well, all right, that you know, he's not pulling it completely out of left field. There, there are three smarter guys than him that say the same thing, so this is at least a, a possibility. But go home and look at it and, and think about these things and think about, hmm, am I supposed to tell so-and-so what he or she is doing? Well, according to Scripture, yeah, if they're living in such a way that they are, their sins no longer affect them, It's, what did, I closed it up. But what did the psalm say? What did he say it was? A bomb, an oil to my head when someone corrects me? It's an act of faithful love. Let me not refuse it. If we could have that attitude about our sinfulness and about our discipling each other, y'all, we'd be a different church. You know what that takes? Humility. Yeesh. It's tough. That's where we need to be. I am amazing. Y'all leave here with absolutely no questions every week. Gosh. Maybe not. That was a joke. I don't really think I'm amazing. Yes, ma'am, Mars. Yes, she was. She absolutely judging you. She was analyzing and evaluating but she was doing it graciously. And when she came to you, she came to you lovingly because she wanted to see you better than you were. She wanted to see you more Christ-like. I don't think Etta will fuss at me for using her as an example um, because she would normally tell this on herself. Anyway, in college, she she is very black and white. It's either wrong or it's right. And she in college did not mind letting you know when you were on the side she didn't approve of. And uh, there were a couple of friends that were perfectly fine with that. And then there were others that it was just too harsh. And she has softened over the years, primarily because she realizes exactly what Galatians says. We do it with graciousness. We do it with love. We do it with the idea of restoration. We do it often with the idea of condemnation. And this friend of yours did not do that. It was not, look how bad you are. That's horrible. I can't be around you. No, it was, you know what? I see this in you, and you may not see it in you, but this, I believe, is something that will hinder your growth as a Christian. And if you get this right, that's just another step towards your sanctification. Now, she may have used completely different words than that, but... Mm. Tone's fun. We're not going to talk too much about that. But yeah, it, it was it was your tone of voice or her tone of voice. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us have that problem. But but her tone of voice in confronting you affected a lot of how you uh, took it, right? I and mean, she could have said the same thing in, in, in maybe your tone and you wouldn't have taken it as well. That's exactly right. Backhand that heifer. Um, but uh, because she handled it in a different way, with graciousness, with love. It was it was different. Yes, I did say backhand that heifer. Good gracious. Lighten up. I call my daughter a heifer all the time. For the first two years of her life, that was all she knew. I just yeah, called her a heifer and she responded to it. Three. The last year she's kinda quit responding to it as much. I don't know, Mama's must have been talking to her. Mom must have been talking to her and saying, you're not an heifer. She's definitely an heifer. All right, well, let's pray. I won't keep you for no reason. Lord, we do thank you that, uh, first of all, that, that others have the responsibility to, to correct us. That we, as a community of faith, a community of believers, have the responsibility to sharpen each other, to, to call out each other. Lord, I pray that we would not use that as a bludgeon, uh, as a way to, to get back at people we don't like or hurt people that have hurt us. But instead, we use it as a way to, to, to purify our church, to sanctify our church by sanctifying each other. God, may we act in all ways in love, but all in all ways in truth. We speak the truth in love, as your word tells us to. God, may we may we be uh, disciples of each other in, in in everyday life, not not just in Sunday school, as the teacher standing up in front of somebody or in, in moments like these. But may we constantly spur each other on to good works. Again, it's something your word says. God, may we be to each other uh, a constant loving gracious encourager towards sanctification may that be our, our cry uh, one of our many uh, toward each other and may you use that then to 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 purify to sanctify our church God to to be more uh, uh, prepared vessels to take your word to a lost world to to minister to evangelize God in So much of what we do as a church depends on what goes on in individual hearts. And I pray that you would work mightily in individual hearts and use whatever tools necessary to change all of us, to sharpen all of us, to make all of us more like you. That's our prayer. We love you and we praise you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.